Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast about the IMDb's top 250 movies. I am your host, Tyler Hannon, the door that ties everything to reality. And with me today, as always, unfortunately, Kayla St. Ange, the pair of eyeballs just sitting there right on the plate. How's it going? (laughs) You chose that for yourself. Why are you acting so dissatisfied? I'm not acting dissatisfied. Anyway, continue. And with us today is our good friend. We've been waiting for her forever, but she, you know, she lives a busy life. She is Monica Date, and uh, when she's not recording podcasts with us, she can be found napping in a bowl of milk under the bed. Monica, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah. How's, how's under the bed? Cozy. Okay. Like, have you redecorated the bottom of the bed so you have something to look at? I'm working on it. Okay. I recently replaced the carpeting because that was just a terrible choice. Oh, oh my God. That explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, I mean, you're in the bowl, but the carpet's around you. Like, yeah. when you're not looking up at the bed, you're looking around at the carpet. And really, so I, I, I took a look at, like, the carpeting and you're under the bed situation. It's not ideal. It's not. No. You, you know, if you're around. living under my bed, it's like a loft bed, so you'd have plenty of space. <laughs> <laughs> I could nap in a bowl. Of milk under the bed. I'm going to try that out. Gonna, is that not what you're going to be doing soon? I mean, I got to get some milk. We're going to go through a lot of milk. I might have to go back to regular milk. It's, it's just a lot of money on almond milk, you know? I just, yeah. Oh. It's good for your skin, particularly if you get the goat's milk. That's how Cleopatra stayed young and beautiful. Ooh. See, if only I had a fawn with a labyrinth in the area that, you know, get some goat's milk from... Do fawns give goat's milk? They're like half goat. They're half... Wait, no. no. Aren't they? Uh, no. no. I think it's like half deer. No, no. A, a satire is half goat. Oh. Or satire, okay. depending on how you pronounce it. <laughs> I thought it was satyr. 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 Actually, that, that would make sense. Yeah, especially because it was in the animated Hercules movie. So, so this is how you remember this Yep. <laughs> that bastion <laughs> of Greek. Like, I, I can't pronounce Seder to save my life, but I can totally say Mr. Tumnus all day long. So <laughs> that's Mr. <what> Tumnus. <laughs> so if you guys haven't figured it out, we're uh, talking about... The Chronicles of Narnia. And <laughs> the Labyrinth. But uh, before we get to that, <laughs> Monica, have you watched anything interesting recently? Recently, I haven't been watching many movies, um, except for a rewatching of Legally Blonde a couple weeks ago. Yes! Because... <laughs> Sometimes you just need a girly pink movie in which all things are awesome and, you know, someone goes to law school. Okay, that is literally one of the most feminist movies of all time, and I fucking love it. Like, I just... <laughs> I could talk about that movie forever, so we're not gonna do that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I will start the petition that, you know, Commander-in-Chic Legally Blonde 3 needs to happen. <laughs> we'll forget about Legally Blonde 2, because that was pretty bad. We'll just skip right from the end of Legally Blonde 1 to the beginning of this one. What about Legally Blondes? You know, like How you dare do. you bring that up on this podcast in Monica's home? <laughs> the <laughs> dumb and, invited you in. The dumb and dumberer to the dumb and dumber that is legally blonde. You're thinking of Dumb and Dumber, or the prequel. Yeah, that. God. When Harry met Lloyd. Which, is that oh, just a thing? Is like classic 90s comedies coming up with like prequel bad things that don't involve the original stars? I don't think Legally Blonde is a prequel. I think it's just like they're like, remember that concept? What if it was two blonde girls and they also did the exact same thing? I haven't made time. You know, I really should have researched legally. (laughs) We didn't know. We didn't know that this is what we were getting into. It's true. Um, But besides that, mostly I've been watching uh, TV since everything's coming back. Uh, Which means for me that everything is... The previous season is now dumped onto Netflix that I can binge watch, which is my preferred way of watching TV. Um, 
You're so modern. Recently finished Arrow Season 3 because I have a problem. Um, and it's that I'm a little Arrow fangirl. Um, <laughs> she was very upset that I hadn't watched it yet. Yeah, she texted me and was like, did you watch it? And I was like, no, I haven't seen it. Kayla's never seen Arrow. And, and then Alicia's behind, too. So I have, like, none of my Arrow fans are caught up with me. And I'm like, no, I need I need to fangirl right now. There's things happening. <laughs> you just have to type into the void of Tumblr. I should. I should. Yes. Um, and then because, though, uh, I finished Arrow Season 3, I'm like, well, that was fun. What else should I watch? The Flash Season 1. Look at that. <laughs> I did watch something this week. Oh, my God. Okay, sorry. Uh, continue. <laughs> but I'm only halfway through Season 1 of The Flash. Um, but that's what it is. That's, that's what like I'm as far watching. as I got. It's pretty, I'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good. It's well done. It's a little more cartoony, which I appreciate. And I think it's very true to the character of Barry Allen. And um, it, it's just, like, adorable superhero stuff. It is. Like, there's still, like, stakes and whatnot and danger and shit, but it's... They have fun. But it's fun. What? It, yeah, I watched the first episode the other day. I forgot that I watched it, <laughs> so... Isn't have, he adorable? I love... Well, I love that guy because I... Well, okay, his character on Glee was an asshole, but I really like the actor... So I, I stopped watching Glee. He was it was okay. It was on the very the last tail end of me putting up with Glee. That's fair. <laughs> so yes. So he's basically playing the same character now. No 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 no. Okay, no. Glee. He was a super asshole and kind of. Are there any other kind of assholes? He also kind of indirectly led to the almost suicide of my favorite character. Oh. So not my favorite person on that show. Understandable. Yeah. But The Flash is pretty great. Yeah. The Flash is great. <laughs> no, The Flash is, is amazing, and I I recommend it as something just, like, enjoyable if you... It's, an, like, enjoyable and fun superhero stuff. Um, I know DC likes to go dark and gritty, but this Urgh. proves that DC can also do fun. I do have to say, I loved at the end of the episode, because I didn't... I guess I didn't really realize that it was, like, kind of... Like, I mean, I knew that they were in the same universe, but then it just, like, pans out, and he's just, like, talking to the guy from Arrow, and yeah. I'm like... You're here. Okay. And then I was with my friend Ben, and he was like, you have to, uh, we have to watch Arrow because there's a drinking game where anytime he says, like, my city or our oh, city or whatever. You have failed this city. <laughs> How Batman can he be? <laughs> so, like, we should try that sometime when I start watching oh this. God. You will probably die. I'm not, like, I'm I don't sorry. know what you're talking about. I'm very Okay, we did the Star Trek lens flare drink game God, at yes. your house. I remember that. We, okay, we got five minutes in. Into the lens, and we ran out game. of alcohol because we had a single bottle of wine, which isn't enough probably for actually a single one of us. No, no, <laughs> like, we were so young. We were, we were, we were naive. That was so long ago. Wow. Memories, you guys. <laughs> Memories all alone in the. Okay, no. And Kayla's to... cut off. <laughs> she's just, sober, but she's cut sorry. off anyway. <laughs> Give me that coffee. Get it back. <laughs> Clearly, the caffeine's too much for you. Yeah, last night I uh, drank some alcohol (laughs) and attempted to recreate noises from the It Follows soundtrack in the car. I stopped the car in the middle of the road and told her to get out. He did. She didn't get out. Yeah, no, no, I did not. Anyway, so... Is that all you had for things that you've watched recently? Was there anything else? Um, there's nothing else that I can think of right now. Um, though in a few hours I will be watching U of M and 
Michigan State. Uh, no, no, no. We don't talk about sports on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, so Tyler. Because <laughs> Kayla didn't watch anything this week. So. Um, okay. I watched episode one of The Flash, which I remembered. Um, I did actually want to... Uh, so Tyler and nope. I... Okay, nope. shut up. Are also very big fans of music. What? And <laughs> there are some really good albums out right now. Um, the Church's album, spelled with a V... Is very good, and I think that everybody should listen to it. And one of my favorite bands in the entire world that I am totally not biased for it anyway. <laughs> uh, my very good friends in the band Pentimento just released a new album, and it is insanely good. And I feel very privileged to know them and to listen to their music. So yeah. And on another like weirdly recommended not a movie thing, uh, the Absolute Punk podcast. We're just breaking. Breaking the podcast. I'm not breaking the podcast. I told you I was going to talk about all of this. Was this because I brought up sports ball? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Taking us off the rails. You broke through the wall and now everything's pouring through. (laughs) So my friends at Absolute Punk, which is one of my, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to every week, um, just reached their 100th 100th episode and rebranded and came up with a new name and it's called Encore now and it's really cool so you should check that out. You listen to other podcasts? I, Yes. Also, we've talked about Thrilling Adventure Hour on this podcast before. This is really not out of I listen to podcasts a lot. Anyway, Tyler, what have you watched recently? I have watched all the things. Um, I think we should talk about the most important one. I swear Um, to God. (laughs) We already touched on a Ryan Murphy show already. But I really just want to go back to Ryan Murphy. Because Kayla and I are big fans. I hate it. And so (laughs) we were like, you know, we shouldn't just blindly talk about how great Scream Queens is without actually watching Scream Queens. So we decided to watch Scream Queens, just take in how great Ryan Murphy is. Okay. I do. I want to, I want to throw this It was Kayla's idea because again, she loves Ryan Murphy. Okay. Here's in all of his gay white man glory. (laughs) Anyway. uh, So... It was my idea because everybody was saying that it was really good. And I was like, maybe we shouldn't just like blindly trash the show. I begged Tyler to turn it off five minutes in. Accurate. Which he did not do. Nope. Why would you? You were if in we're a, gonna you're give already it a, wet. Yeah. Swim. I wanted to get to the horror stuff. I'm like, you know, Guess I'm going to get to the It didn't shot. happen. No, like, there were some freaky things. Like, I, like it, But it, I forgot that Ryan Murphy's thing is a certain kind of trashiness. Yes. And, like, I can get a lot behind a lot of stuff. I can get into, like, a lot of mindsets. Like, I like camp and kitsch and all kinds of goofy stuff. Trashiness is something I'm not, I don't really purvey in. I'm just, like, it's just not for me. Like, it's, like, why I don't watch reality TV, even though I listen to an hour-long reality TV podcast every week. Okay, well, the thing about the trashiness of Scream Queens is that it's literally just racism and misogyny and a But the characters are supposed to be bad people. That's so, that's just... Look, okay, I just, okay, so... And the, the first one thing special happens, girl who doesn't like Starbucks or Ugg boots. The first thing... So you thing, know she's the good one. The first thing that happens is the main character, I have already forgotten her name because it is so inconsequential to me, meets her new roommate, who is a black woman, and the first thing that happens to her being like, oh, shit, girl, you're going to join us the Rory? I can't believe this. Well, just going on, and I'm like... Is this real? Like, is this happening right now? Like, why did you do this? Just embrace those stereotypes. And then, oh yeah, what I I was like, literally, I, I don't know. It was horrifying. There's also a scene where Emma Roberts' character calls their maid white mammy and asks her if she knows about birth and babies. 
Yeah. No, it's like, okay. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna cut in real quick and Monica, say how yeah. Mammy makes me so fucking angry. <laughs> I'm sorry if you have to believe that. Yeah. No, no not at all. No, we have an explicit tag for a reason. Also, you have more of a right to talk about this than either of us. No, so. no. So, like, it's it's one of those. Oh God, that that's whatever minimal bit of like goodwill I had towards Miley Cyrus died when she said like compared Kanye West to her mammy and oh, I was like I forgot about what that. the fuck I oh forgot about that it, it, that happened that was a thing that happened and it's like and we're done I, I I was hoping Nicki Minaj was just gonna like tear her head off and she kind of did she kinda did it was beautiful <laughs> but no race White people should not use the word mammy is the moral of the story. Carry on. <laughs> well, I know, like, it's not just the misogyny of it, which even in the parts, like, even in parts where he's not making characters who are intentionally oh, bad or whatever, also... it's still misogynist, like, in certain ways. Like, how the, like I mentioned, how the girl, the good girl is the one who's like, I hate all those girls with their Starbucks and their Ugg boots. Well, it's not even that. Like, okay, so the thing with Ryan Murphy is that he is very easily able to get away with doing all of this stuff because he's gay. But what most people don't understand is that there is a very prominent sect of like white cisgender gay men who are literally just misogynistic trash and they use their gayness as like an excuse as to why they're allowed to be like that. But they're also, they're literally, okay, there's a character on the show whose name I don't remember because they refer to her as predatory les. Because obviously, if a lesbian is going to join a sorority, it's just going to be to try and like forcibly sleep with all the sorority girls. Because you know that's what women who sleep with other women do—they're just I'm predators. Like, the show. One of my best friends is a lesbian who was in a sorority. Like it—it—it's it, 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 almost like you can't just like categorize people into tiny boxes. Well, didn't you know the vagina makes you evil? That's why he's gay. Yeah. And he all like he also gets away with some of the things because it's like there's a vestige of supposed female empowerment to it because he has these this giant cast of mostly women who he gives these really hammy roles to so it, but it's very surface level and doesn't deal with what they're actually acting well it goes back to what we were talking about last week where it's like you can have a, a team of men try and write what they consider to be empowered female <coughs> characters but those choices that they make for them are not actually coming from a place of female empowerment. They're coming from like some dude's like warped idea of what he thinks a strong woman is. Mm. So I don't know. Which is I, more often than not some kind of fetishistic fantasy. Yeah, it's mostly like, <laughs> I'm one of the guys too. My dad was a mechanic and totally wanted boys, and I hate all those other girls. Like that's not. And then on top of that, they're like, but yeah, I may be in like these boyish clothes and you know covered in engine grease, but watch me take a shower and put on a bikini, and suddenly I'm hot. Yeah. I took my glasses off and now I'm hot. <laughs> Let your hair down. Yeah. yeah. So uh, basically the gist of this whole tangent is that we I fucking hated Scream Queens and I will literally destroy Ryan Murphy and, one well, day. Even like and, and even besides from all that stuff, like the, he there's a certain level of trashy campiness to it and like like over the topness where it's supposed to be ridiculous, like where um Ariana Grande who dies in the first episode, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> uh, she um, I guess maybe I'll put a spoiler warning on that. I don't care. But like, as she's dying, the funny thing is, instead of calling nine one one, she's trying to type out a tweet for, for help, and then he stabs her and she dies. But just kidding, she comes back to life, hits enter, and sends the tweet, and then she dies. And it's like just that's kind of what that show is is that kind of over the topness I just don't it's not for me it doesn't I mean, work like Ryan, even outside of all the other problematic stuff just the style of the show does not is not work for me yeah like I mean but Ryan Murphy isn't he like 50-ish 
Oh, yeah. Like, like, he's definitely a boomer. We had a cable up until recently, and when you go on demand, fucking every single commercial or whatever they call the on demand things was, <laughs> was like 50 ish. White, gay, bald Ryan Murphy interviewing one of his female cast members and talking about how much he loves her and how much he was glad to give her like this Okay, here's the thing. He's talking about Leah Michelle, and I'm pretty sure they actually hate each other. So, okay. Well, he also talks to um, Jamie Lee Curtis, who the best parts of this show... Even her parts don't work, though. Like, no. she's sleeping with I a young student. I love Jamie Lee Curtis student. so much. Well, once it hit that point, it was working less well. But, God, I love Jamie I Lee just, Curtis. She's not, like, it's not. There's nothing I wanted to like the sh- show. I wanted to like the show just so I could watch Jamie Lee Curtis in this thing. Yeah. That's fair. No, like, I, I think my thing is, though, that he's obviously a boomer and very disconnected with actually how youth people work. Mm-hmm. You know, them young folks with their Twitter and... Um, so, yeah, of course Ariana Grande's not going to call 911. She's going to tweet it, because that's what the kids do these she days. She was also texting the killer standing right in front of I'm her. Like, I, yeah, though there was that, too. Ooh, I don't know. Who was, I by don't the way, know. he was holding his phone upside down, and the messages were green, even though they both had iPhones. Like, it's fucking basic research, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, I don't know, like, the show, like, I'm just confused by the show, like, because is it supposed to be commentary? I think it's supposed to be, like, satire. I just... Everybody loves it, and the next show I'm going to talk about is the same thing where I don't like it, but a lot of people do, and it's just not for me, clearly. Yeah. Let's move on from Screaming Queens before yeah. this devolves into me just frothing at Okay, the so the other show <laughs> that, I revi- that I visited, because everybody freaking loves it, and I just don't get it, is The Walking Dead. Yeah, I tried. I tried with that one. Did you watch the season premiere? Uh, no, well, I tried back when the first... I got through the halfway through the second season. I was just like, Dude, this sucks. And like, it, I I got most of the way through season one when I tried, and it, I tried. I gave it, I gave it a fair shake. No, but it was just too boring. It it's very much. How do I put? This? It's a it's a dad show. If that makes sense, yeah. Like it's it's the kind. It's, but millennials love it. It's like it's a dad show for the zombie generation. Yeah. <laughs> it's like to me, it's like everyone you know from high school thinks it's like highbrow art. Like that's the kind of vibe that Which I get. Yeah, it's kind of like the same way that everyone you know from high school thinks Olive Garden is hot cuisine. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Parents. Oh my god. <laughs> they so, listen to this. <laughs> Well, I think my mom listens to I'll this. Take it out. And it I'll wasn't her. It no, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, so The Walking Dead. So uh, the reason I bring it up is because the most recent season premiere happened. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a friend of the podcast, Gabe, and he left to go watch that. And it was like a, the number one hashtag on Twitter for like 3,000 hours. I was like, you know what? I'm giving it another shot. And granted, dropping in on the season premiere of a show that you haven't watched in three seasons is probably not the best way to dive back into a show. But even from a aesthetic, like even from a base level thing of it, it was really dumb. So it had this thing where you didn't know what was happening. You it dropped you in the middle of this plot to get rid of all these zombies or whatever, and it would flash back to when they were like things that were happening before this. The flashbacks were all in black and white, which I thought <laughs> I'm just like, wow, that is. Like it's so you know it's in the past. Oh my god! I'm just <laughs> like, like, are you kidding me? Black and white flashbacks. Are like you... I thought we we gave up that that trope in you know '92 or in high school. Like it's, <laughs> this is another case. I commented on something the other week where I'm like, I feel like this is something I would do if I made a movie because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> this is something I would totally 
normally do as a total amateur when I was 17 and had nothing better to do with my life. The yeah. dialogue is just overwrought <coughs> and silly. I wish I had it in front of me. It was just... Carl, everything's bad again. <laughs> Stop wandering off. I've never seen an episode of The Walking <laughs> Dead, by the no, way. No, it's just so overwrought and silly. It's like... Carl! Just like... It thinks it's commenting on, like, the state of man. Like, oh, I thought it was a good man. It's like, have you ever been a good man? Whoa. Carl. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so silly. All like, I know, literally all I know about the show is that everybody hates Carl because he gets into shit all the time. And, like, and, like, the music was just super overwrought and silly. It was like just... It was it was just like Scream Queens where I was like I was waiting to get to the horror stuff. I'm like, you know what? The five minutes of good like possibly good horror stuff is not worth the fifty five minutes of nonsense. Isn't that like the whole thing on The Walking Dead that like nothing ever happens and it's just so boring? It's so boring. And I'm sorry for everyone who loves that show, but Norman Reedus is not pretty enough for me to like sit there and watch it. I don't even get that. He, He has an appeal. Like, which I, get, I, I get the appeal, but I'm it's not always, enough for me. Yeah, maybe I've just only ever seen him like looking like a fucking hobo in The Walking Dead. I'm a straight dude, to be fair. So yeah. Still. Well, okay. You have seen Boondock Saints, right? No. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Is that on the two fifty? No. It's not. No. It's not. No. Actually, really? that doesn't surprise me. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, fair. It's not crime drama enough. <laughs> no, like, Monica, well, I have a terrible thing to tell you. What? I, I didn't like Boondock Saints. <gasps> you know, like, no, I understand that, though. It's, it's, it's one of those good, bad movies. You either like it, and you really like it, or you don't like it. Willem Dafoe is weirdly magical in it. Weirdly, William Dafoe is magic in that movie. And then... Then you get Norman Reedus with an Irish accent, which okay. is nice. Okay, all right. That I can probably deal with. He does kind of still look like a hobo, um, but... that's just the Norman it's Reedus It's like a tattooed thing. hobo, or are they the ones with the tattoos? Yeah, yeah, the ones with the tattoos. I saw, like, a really... At, at the video store I used to work at, I saw a guy who was, like, trying to do those tattoos, but he was, like, a scrawny, like, trailer park boy. Yeah. So, that admit- it was comedic. <laughs> that, admittedly, is one of the big faults with Boondock Saints, is along with, you know, movies like Fight Club... The fan base is the worst part of it. <laughs> the fan base is awful. Yeah. So getting to things I actually liked that I watched this week, I saw Sicario. Sicario is great. Oh my gosh. So it's um it's uh, the latest from Denis Villeneuve, is- the director of Prisoners and Enemy, mm-hmm. the Jake Gyllenhaal beat doing acting stuff. But those are he has a really interesting style uh it his movies are always gorgeous i forgot to look up the cinematographer's name but the cinematographer he usually works with is incredible and i'll get to that in sicario as well and they're also always very serious and are making a very obvious point and it's like obvious but it works just because it's his movies are so artful and beautiful and this is the one with emily blunt right yeah fuck i love her oh yeah the thing is Who? So the thing is, so you no, know, no, not about Emily Blunt, oh. about the movie. Oh, okay. So you know, so Edge of Tomorrow was Emily Blunt being a badass and just her kicking ass the whole time, and also Tom Cruise was there dying. <laughs> Hilariously. But, so Sicario looks kind of like it's going to be the Emily Blunt kicking ass thing, but it's not. She is like, she's very. It, the, the movie opens with her being really good at her job, and so she gets picked up by this team that is kind of combat like the drug war and the Mexican border is basically what it's about. It's about 
uh, this special uh, special team doesn't play by the rules, fighting the drug war, trying to take down this guy. And you don't, like the whole time, you are with Emily Blunt. She is your entree into it. She is very capable at her job, but she's out of her depth where she is now with these teams of very violent dudes who aren't We don't play by the rules. They don't play by the rules. They don't play by the rules, but they do what has to be done. And so the whole time, you're not sure what's happening. You find out everything with her. Which the way I'm describing, like when you put it out that way, that those are, that's where the movie doesn't work quite as well because I don't love everything about that. There are definitely some things to talk about in that movie that we won't have time for here, involving race and gender and all that. Um, which and, I imagine and that's, that's mainly where my complaints yeah. come from are very like race and gender uh, based and just that. Yeah, they they. The way the movie, the, the way they they framed the story, and particularly uh, Emily Blunt's character's journey in that story, is very disrespectful. I think of her character. From yeah, yeah. it's I'm still puzzling it out. Um, I haven't seen it, but it's kind of sounding like it was like special white girl. Please fix this problem in Mexico. No, 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 no that's no. not okay. at all. Not okay, at good, all. Because that was like what I was getting. No, from no, what we no. Were saying, no. The whole point worried. is that like you think <laughs> she is going to be like she thinks it's she's... not the blind side. Okay, no, good. You, like you think she's really good, but she's it. She, the most of the movie is her not knowing what's going on and being out of her depth and kind of getting dragged along by this team. And just trying to figure out what the goal is. Cool. Okay. And, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it's it's a little more nuanced. Than yeah. That. No. Like the, the problem with the movie is, um, it's like this team of American white dudes, and it shows how bad it is in certain parts of like Juarez in Mexico where the drug trade is happening. Part of the point of the movie is that we're no better. Like the Mexican drug trade, it's easy to make that look bad. Movies have been doing that forever. Like. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, and also just public consciousness, the news, everything. Um, the movie is kind of about how Americans are just as bad and how we enforce it and how we started it and how everything they learned, they learned from us is basically a quote. You mean like from, when we went there and installed the drug cartels yes. that we're currently fighting now? Yeah, that's basically <laughs> a quote from the movie is that they learned everything from the Americans. So it is a fraught movie did you see it monica or um no not to call you out or anything no my my, one of my really good friends saw it the one uh who i actually originally saw pan's labyrinth with oh nice and we wound up having a long discussion yeah and he's like do you mind if i spoiler it so i know everything that happens and no it's a very fraught movie and even as i was leaving and i had the rush of the things that were done really really well in that movie i'm i was thinking i need to go have some discussions about this to discuss some of these things mm-hmm. or to like watch or listen to other people discuss these things because like just from the just dealing with the uh, the subject matter of it is obviously very fraught and he doesn't clearly paint us as the bad guys it's just everything sucks it's kind of the point of the movie it's like everything sucks everything sucks today yeah. everything sucks today Woo-hoo. but so it is, I definitely want to delve more into that and how it portrays people. I will say, Benicio Del Toro is incredible in the movie. Is he ever not incredible? <laughs> my, I'm sorry. My friend Kate, um, who, who is mostly gay, yeah. I will put this out there. She is actually married to another woman. Yeah. Her one male is Del Toro. Her one male. <laughs> like, and, not which, Guillermo? No, not Guillermo. Uh, but... 
for whatever reason, she she's in love with him. He's really good. In that and movie. which is hilarious because yeah. her wife and I are totally confused by that. She's like, he's gorgeous. Okay. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't totally see that being the one, the the one crush either. But I tell you what, as a hitman, he's terrifying. <laughs> he is terrifying as the hitman, and they've discussed. Assuming the movie continues to do well, they're talk they're already talking about doing a, a kind of a spin-off starring his character in this movie because his character kind of becomes the star of the movie towards the end. And so, when you find out who he is and what he's going for, because that's part of the mysteries, mm-hmm. what's this dude just coming along with us for who's obviously not part of the CIA or anything? They all call themselves defense contractors. They're not they're not defense contractors. Of course not. You can tell that she's even like, no, you're, what? No, <laughs> All right, but, so you've seen that. Yeah, you sorry. A, no, you have a list of things. I do have like, a, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but it's all, it, it is a gorgeous movie with the same cinematographer. Like, the, God, it's just so bright and the way they film the deserts and the landscapes just to kind of establish where you are. It really just sinks you into the movie, and it's incredibly tense and suspenseful. I'll admit, I am a slut for good cinematography. It is beautiful. <laughs> I'm always a slut for cinematography. <laughs> it is beautiful. Good cinematography. <laughs> and I'll just roll off the other two. I rewatched Trick or Treat because it's Halloween season, and Trick or Treat's a great horror anthology movie that you should definitely watch. They're making a sequel. I don't know how that will go, but hopefully well. And I watched, I watched half of the first season of the TV show Scream on MTV. Uh, it's not obviously not nearly as good as the movie, but and it, after the first episode or two, when it's very fourth wall breaking and very much commenting on everything, it kind of drops that to become just like a teenage slasher film starring mostly pretty young white people. Sometimes you just want to watch a TV show about pretty young white people. That's why I keep watching Teen Wolf, no matter how bad it gets. Yeah. Pretty. The pretty CW and MTV can be pretty good at that. Shirts. Allergic to shirts. <laughs> but uh, it's. It, no, I, I enjoy it enough. I'm going to finish it. It does some cool things, in it, even if it's very overt sometimes, but it's all right. That is a very long segment on what I've been watching. Thanks, Tyler. <laughs> well, you know what, Kayla? Well, there was a some lot of people, discussion that happened. Some people didn't watch anything, so I had to make up for it. Okay, some people were working and were very busy and had many things happen this week. Anyway, yes. So, <laughs> this week, we are talking about Pan's Labyrinth. Soy boss. Soy... Un fauno, nuestro más humilde súbdito artista. La luz os engendró por todo el mundo. Vuestro verdadero padre hizo abrir portales que permitieran vuestro regreso. Prometéis obedecerme. Haréis todo lo que yo os diga. So Pan's Labyrinth is the 2006 uh, Spanish language film from acclaimed director Guillermo del Toro, who's also directed such fare as Pacific Rim, Hellboy, Devil's Backbone. A lot of people like him. He's pretty good at his job. Pan's Labyrinth uh, debuted at Cannes in 2006 and came to America in 2007. It was nominated for six Academy Awards and it won 
the ones for best art direction, best cinematography, and best makeup. Not surprisingly, those all kind of the really makeup? make sense. Really? No, weirdly, we might touch on that. But it received acclaimed reviews back then in 2006, 2007. Everybody had it on their top 10 lists. Wikipedia and other sources make a point to have a long list, a list of all the lists that Pan's Labyrinth was on. Yeah, this movie, generally, everybody loves it. How do you feel about it, Monica? I really like it. It's what? beautiful. It's well done. It's emotionally affecting, and that is the term I've decided I'm going to use. Not draining. Not draining. Sabotaging. Not, like, curled up in a ball <laughs> weeping. Uh, but anywho, no, it, it's, a, it's a great film. It's very well done, and just... It's it's fairy tales told in the way that fairy tales were meant to be told, with uh, blood, with, with, with lots of violence, <laughs> violence and, and death. death, and and yeah, things happen and terrible people are terrible. So it's not like a Disney fairy tale. We're talking more like Grimm's Brothers fairy tales. You know, this is the kind of fairy tale that you tell your child to make sure that they not only have nightmares but also won't go into the woods. And, and they get a strong moral with, compass. And they get a strong moral compass. But especially now with their nice new dress on. Just like leave it at home. What were you thinking? You know, that has actually always confused me. Like why didn't she just wear something else and then come back and put the dress because on? Because kids are dumb. Yeah. Oh. It's a hard line stance. My yeah. with me. I, I, I'm with no, you. No, they are. No, I, I actually really don't like children that much. So. Except the child in this movie who's... Bad magical. Just, yeah. Spoiler. Yes. <laughs> there no, are no... We are going to spoil the crap out of this movie because the end of this movie is... It ties the whole thing together. The it's very important movie, to yeah. everything, all the themes in the movie. But it will take something away. If you somehow have not seen this movie or have not heard what happens at the end of the movie, why are you... I'm, first of all, it's incredible that you're this far into the podcast. <laughs> but also, it's it's October. It's the perfect time. Go experience Pan's Labyrinth. It's probably on Netflix. And go, like... Yeah. Go do that right now. No, do but it. come back. Yeah, come back to this. And listen to all the other podcasts and just tell us how great we are on iTunes. <laughs> oh, that's... It I'm supposed not, to do that is, at the end. It's not time for that yet, so... It's um, okay. You can plug that shit whenever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Monica, for supporting me <laughs> on my podcast. Am I getting fired again? <laughs> <laughs> She's gotten fired on several podcasts. <laughs> oh, and she keeps coming back. <laughs> Do you want me to uh, bring up uh, the man, uh, the man of the hour again, or uh... no, no? <laughs> so all right, the movie. <laughs> it is a fairy tale. It is all these things. Kayla, there were some specific things you wanted to talk about that were related to Pan's life. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Chris Evans is beautiful. How? <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. That's not fair. You have to at least have an organic reason to come up with that. I didn't laugh. That was either, not organic. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> anyway, all right. So this movie is, like Monica said, deeply affecting, and there are parts of it, in particular. Um, Monica had mentioned beforehand the power of femininity. Femininity. Femininity, I think. Femininity. <laughs> Monica had mentioned before the power of femininity in this movie. And that was actually something that I hadn't really thought... The last time I watched this movie was a while ago. Like, I think this is actually the first foreign language movie I ever watched when I was like 14 or 15 with my friend Amanda. And like when I was 14 or 15, I wasn't really thinking about that. 
but rewatching it and reading up on it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you have a point on that, to elaborate. Yeah, well, the power of femininity really comes through in this movie. Um, it, it Del Toro has touched on it in other films as well, like. Everyone likes to cite Pacific Rim as a great example of a strong female character who is actually a strong female character and not some kind of male fantasy version. Yeah. Um, but in this one, there's a lot of male power being thrown around in this film. You've got the captain as our villain who's just violent. And he is so horrible. I just remember being like, so oh, shocked I, by that. I have so the, much to talk about. The evilest <laughs> stepdad. I, I, he is the evilest stepdad, yes. <laughs> um, I have so much to talk about his character, though, so we'll, I'm just going to slide past it for now and just make this point. Um, so you have him as this violent um, fascist dictator in this teeny little portion of Spain, which is currently in the process of going through a fascist rebellion. Fascist versus socialist. Yay! Um, and then on the other side of the male power spectrum, you have the guerrillas who are in the woods trying, rebelling against this captain and working as part of the resistance. And the point of like the power of femininity in this is neither one of these two male powers is effective in any way. They get into skirmishes, and there's always losses on both sides. There's, And it's always like a zero-sum game. Neither like, is particularly good at their job. Yeah. Neither they is, would literally, yeah, without Mercedes, they would literally be fucked. Because, yeah. like, she's the one that brings them the food and the medicine. And, and the like, doctor. And the doctor. Yeah. M- Mercedes is the one keeping the rebels alive and somehow also managing to keep the captain alive because she's, like, his head of household. So... All that. And it and again, you already said spoilers, but at the end of the film, the people who actually make an impact on the world are the women. Um, it, and the doctor, to some degree, too. Um, I would argue that he... Yeah, well, kind of. His death is so sad. I, kind of, I forgot awful. that that happened. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. But, <laughs> like, his, his impact is more minor, and it's, just, it's more like an impact on individuals rather than on the world. But the people who manage to change this world in the movie are always the women. Um, the, uh, the little girl's mom, who's Carmen. Carmen. Carmen shows up with her daughter, Ophelia, and they show up, and that instigates a change, which is what sparks the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, Carmen's death then instigates another change in the captain, where you always knew he was not a good man at all, but... Without, he had, like, this, like, tiny tether, like, holding him yeah. to, like, that shred of goodness. Exactly. And then Carmen dies, and he loses that, and that impacts the world. Mercedes, you know, helping the rebels, and then the scene where she... Cut get, dude up. Where she just, like, knifes a dude three times. <laughs> and then slices his face open. And then slices his face open. Mercedes is a badass in her own very quiet way. Well, I think that's another interesting point is that so much of the film is, like, 
kind of women quietly suffering because like Carmen is not happy obviously and she knows that like she's very ill and that she shouldn't be traveling but she does it anyway because she tells Ophelia that she doesn't want to be alone anymore and Ophelia being a tiny child doesn't understand this because she's like well you had me like I don't understand (laughs) and like Mercedes like her brother is fighting off in the woods with these rebels and she knows that there's like a huge chance that he is tortured to death by this crazy man and obviously Ophelia loses her mother um dies ultimately yeah. in the end well yes. dies ascends whatever i don't know but like we'll get there yeah it's just it's so like there's this very powerful statement about how like women are the ones who get things done but it's also a powerful statement about how women have to suffer the most throughout yeah but I, I think it also shows uh the resiliency of the women because they are the ones like they put up with the suffering to a greater degree for sure and then but then once they reach their breaking point, you know, it, the whole mama bear thing is well, yeah, totally well, applies <laughs> here. But uh, this, uh, they have the ability to bear those burdens more so than anyone else. Yeah, well, women rising, <clears throat> women rising above circumstances and rising above suffering is pretty much how most good things in history happen. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, Ryan Murphy? The vagina's not evil. Fuck you, Ryan Murphy. <laughs> There's also, it also gets very explicit in the point in the part where he's about where the captain is going to torture Mercedes. Is he's just like this woman? You th- this woman? You think I'm gonna have trouble with this woman? And then she explicitly says like, "Yo, I'm." What did she say again? Was, that's how I was able to get away with it for so long. That's right, that's right. Because you thought of me as just a woman. Yeah, it gets very explicit in that moment. And it does feel very earned because... Love it. Very, yeah. Love it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, pretty much. She's kind of kicking your ass all by her lonesome. Mm-hmm. Well, her and her couple of her stooges who'd be lost without her. Yes. Yeah, well, there's like the little kitchen ladies who are helpful in their own way, but... Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean... It's really awesome to see a movie like this from such an acclaimed director and like Guillermo del Toro is often one of my examples of like good male ally Mm -hmm. and I feel like he often makes in all of his movies that I've seen a really decent point of making sure that all of his female characters are like actual rounded out characters with hopes and dreams and thoughts and etc and it's just really nice to see that agency even agency yes <laughs> like in Pacific Rim specifically like Mako is the perfect example of this like Mako takes control of what she wants to do in the end she's the one that like saves the world basically <laughs> and what I really that's another point I want to make is that a lot of what happens in Gabriel del Toro movies is like the male character deferring to the female character specifically in Pacific, specifically in Pacific Rim <laughs> that is what happens because Riley is just like hey you're the mastermind behind this i just have to fall over That's also because charlie hunnam is so boring i wouldn't say that he's he's so pretty <laughs> I, i'd even say he's chris evans pretty Thank you. <laughs> I want to say though, like really, I didn't do it organically last week either because I. <laughs> okay, Tyler got up and left, so Monica and I run the podcast now. But yeah, so um, another you thing the wrong way, the bars that way. <laughs> another thing that I really wanted to talk about was um, so the ending. I'm pulling up my chair, <laughs> sitting down again. So another thing that I really wanted to talk about is that um, there 
is kind of a debate about the ending of the movie, whether she dies and this is like her afterlife, whether she was actually a princess. I think that's kind of the least interesting part of it. Yeah. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. But what I wanted to talk about was, because people ask about this all the time, is that when asked about it, Guillermo del Toro just has a very simple, poetic explanation for it. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard quote that says, the tyrant's reign ends with his death, but the martyr's reign starts with his death. And I think that the essence of the movie is about living forever by choosing how you die. So you have, there are so many deaths in this movie and they all have like very different effects and impacts. So when the captain dies, for example, he tries to do this whole, the whole watch smashing thing to be like, tell my son when I died. But because fatherhood is the the carrying on his family name is the most important. I seriously thing. don't get that, but anyway, uh, that's a whole other discussion. Again, I, ha- I have so much to say about the captain, so okay. we'll have to save, we'll save it on the captain. So, like, so that's very much like his death marks the end of his like tyrannical reign, but also it marks kind of the end of his like existence in the universe because when he's remembered, if he's remembered at all, if anyone brings him up, it's just going to be, oh yeah, that man was horrible and we killed the fuck out of him and it was awesome. He lost, yeah. And like, I think that's really what gets to him the most is like he realizes that he's been usurped by like this woman and this child really and that his son is never going to know him as like this heroic and amazing man that he like wanted very badly to be because regardless of like how terrible of a person he is, like that is what he wanted most was to be like a strong father figure for his son, which doesn't excuse anything that he does no, at all. No. But he wanted to be a hero and I, I think that's part of like the, the evolution of his character is that his final act a, a, like living act was not to smash the watch and tell his son like how, how great a man I was but to shoot a little girl in the stomach yeah well and I think that's also an interesting thing because so many movies you have people who very badly want to be heroes and it's about their journey to become a hero and I think it's interesting to see that go the opposite direction because obviously it's not enough to just want to be a hero you have to have like a goodness inside of you and you have to have a willingness to want to help people you can't just go around shooting people for hunting rabbits you gotta show it with your actions yeah you have to actually do good things like you don't just get to claim that you're a hero and then be like well this is my legacy now like you have to prove that you're a hero it's kind of we talked about Hercules a little bit earlier and it kind of goes back to that where he had to prove that he was worthy of being a god the spirit of Hercules is in us all but yeah so the contrast to that obviously is Ophelia's death where she sacrifices herself for her little brother even though like it's like her shitty step well like um, the baby's not shitty but it's like it's a little this, brat she doesn't like, even well, know it's like, the, it's like the spawn of her evil stepdad and her mother died giving birth to this baby like she really has no reason to feel like an emotional attachment or like care about this baby like it would be really easy for her to just like stab the baby and be like alright give me my kingdom but instead of that she, refu- she refuses to even prick his finger to give any of his blood and so when she dies, like, that's the, the flip side of that. Like, the path to being a hero is not so much just, like, reigning over things. It's just in small actions and small steps, like, of things that you will do to prove yourself worthy. Well, Ophelia did promise to take care of the baby from the beginning. Like, the, the scene where her mom says, like, oh, why don't you tell your brother a story even while she's sitting there pregnant? Like, and Ophelia lies down and puts her head on her mom's stomach and tells her little brother that she'll always take care of him. Yeah, and I mean, that's very poignant, especially when you know, like, what comes later. Is like, again, like, she really, there's really no reason for her to love that baby. Like, she dies. 
So I guess. The well, part, I, don't I mean, know, like it, it's a part of her mother too. Yeah, and I, I, I feel that's more how she sees the baby is like this is. She calls the baby her brother from the very beginning. She addresses him as hermano every time she tells him a story. And there was even supposed to be even there was supposed to be even more of that. That there was supposed to be more of her telling him this the fable within a fable mm-hmm. about like the story of a dragon and all this stuff that she was telling her brother that they had to cut. But that sucks. We still got an element of that though, especially when the uh when she asks him when she asks her brother not to kill her mom, basically, and it's like she's pretty and you'll like her. She's like, oh, that's just just ripped my heart right out just of my chest. Me. <laughs> just and, and she's right sad. Some, and I think actually the, the whole thing about the mom being sad and then Ophelia not understanding it, I think it was a really interesting view of seeing adult depression from a childhood point of view. It was very poignant, and yeah. it was a small, like just that little bit in a movie, and, and it felt to me too. It's just. Emotionally that, affecting. Yeah, there's a lot of depth to this movie, even in this little moment. You see that. I see, and I had briefly, so we actually kind of talked about this a little bit last night. I said, I was like, you know how sometimes like child actors can ruin movies? And I was wondering, like, when we see like a foreign movie, is the actress actually a good child actress, or can we just not really tell because we can't understand the language? But like, when, like, as I watched it, I was like, that was such a dumb thought to have about this movie because she's like, She's amazing. And just like the the way that she portrays the character and the way that she goes through this journey is... It's very real. Like, yeah. I think the main problem that we have with children in movies is that the movies are written by adults. And so they write children as little adults rather than writing them as children. Guillermo del Toro just has like a really great understanding of people and humans. And it shows in every movie he's ever done. I love Back whatever. Pacific Rim. <laughs> the, like, even though the little girl in Pacific Rim technically didn't really have any dialogue. Besides, mommy, mommy. And this goes back to when we were talking about Miyazaki, about how Miyazaki just seems to have an understanding of how children work and just the the, the yeah. joys and the pains and just how, like, the way that kids see the world. Like, Guillermo seems to have that with Ophelia. I think what it is is you have to respect children. I think we talked about this a little bit in the Spirited Away episode, but, like, children so often have their agency removed by adults for no good reason, and so it stunts their growth emotionally and when they're just, like, thrown into situations, it's very hard for them to do things. And so, like, it's hard, I guess, it's hard for children to trust adults because adults spend so much time lying to them. So when you have a writer who is aware of this and really feeds that into the script and really, like, not even just, like, the character, but cares about, like, the actress playing the character. Because, again, with Pacific Rim, he developed, like, a really close bond with, like, the little girl who played... Uh, the younger Mako, and I can only assume he felt the same way about the girl that played Ophelia. He specifically, like, rewrote the role for her so that it could be an older kid. So, yeah, it's just really, it's nice to see that, I guess. I think it's important to point out and laud when people do uh, younger, like, kids or teenagers or anything that, anyone that isn't an adult well, because it's done badly so often. the (laughs) The two examples I always go back to because they just stick out in my head, is there's the, the TV trope of the awful teenage child. Yeah. Whereas almost every TV show, if there's a teenage kid, they suck. Like, Homeland was big on it. Apparently, uh, Fear of the Walking Dead has a number of just shitty teenage kids who Girl. are just the worst. Girl! <laughs> also, OG Walking Dead has that. And 
one that this is it's totally unrelated and it's a tangent we don't want to go down but one of my biggest problems when I saw Blue Jasmine last year was that Woody Allen clearly does not know how children work that is a wormhole I don't, we don't need to go down this time it will come up in another podcast but just in that movie <laughs> in that movie face right now. <laughs> in that movie I was just like wow this is the ultimate example of an adult not knowing how children work they are not little ex- exposition machines that are just like I'm telling all your secrets at the dinner table because that's that's what kids do. It's almost like Woody Allen is probably too focused on trying to have sex with children than uh, actually understand that. I thought we weren't going down this wormhole. Sorry. Okay. She, she, Sorry. No, no. She. It's okay. It's okay. Holding her back. Holding her back. <laughs> I just hate him so much. Okay. <laughs> anyway, there's only there are only like two Woody Allen movies and then two fifty that we one day have to tackle, and you will gouge your eyes out. Give me a good time. Anyways, about how kids were being used well in this movie, and it was beautiful and perfect, and we loved everything. I think I know we just like talked about how much we all don't like children, but like I want to clarify, I don't dislike children. What it is is that I have four younger siblings, the youngest of whom is still eleven years old. I have younger siblings too, and I love them very much, and I feel that they're monsters, but they're adorable. Well, the thing is, is like again, like I said, like. Children spend so much of their time being lied to and being forced to do things that they aren't comfortable with and all that stuff. And there is not really enough space for them to, like, develop a lot of the time. Yeah, well, I I think the point to be made here is that, like, while we say we don't like children, it's more of, like, I don't like children enough to have one of my own. I do not feel in any way ready to be responsible. But I care deeply about them. I care deeply (laughs) about children, and I remember enough about my own childhood to sympathize. Yes. That was so eloquent, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> we should just have her out every week. She's, she's really good at keeping us on track. But can, can I talk about the captain now? Please. Yes. Yay! Have at it. Captain Todd. It's Captain Todd. And this is also <laughs> going to be a lot of me singing the praises of Del Toro because he did a really good job, particularly, I think, with the characterization of the captain of showing instead of telling. So we meet the captain, and we obviously know that he's really strict and really rigid like he's making his wife travel hundreds of miles in her very late stage pregnancy to come be with him and you know your first introduction to him in Ophelia is she goes to shake his hand and it's she puts out her left hand instead of her right and he gets mad at her and like squeezes her hand harder than he needed to and said like you're supposed to always use your right hand so from that we know he is very much a by the book straight nosed like hard, this is how things are done, and they are done this way, and with military precision. Which I think is then even fed even further when the next, the scene that you get of him quiet in his office, fiddling with the watch. Like, he's meticulous and detail-oriented, but you don't know these things, because no one at any point does, like, one of the soldiers come out and be like, yeah, he's he's really hard-nosed and by the book, and but he's really, like, good at the details. No one ever says this. You just pick it up from all the, like, character clues that Del Toro drops into the movie. And I think that's amazing. Just I think he's also, like, legitimately terrifying. Yes. Which is kind of hard to pull off in a movie like this, where there's, like, you know, literal, like, terrifying monsters with eyeballs on plates yes so like i think it's it speaks to his character a lot also that despite all of these fantastical horror creatures this guy is probably actually the scariest part of the movie Mm -hmm. he's definitely got the um oh shoot what's her name professor umbridge effect yeah of like he's he's a 
even more terrifying because he's a villain that we could theoretically run into in real life. It's yeah. almost like humans are the real monsters. Come back to us, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> We're both just staring at him right now. I gazed off into the distance. Also, you could just... Maybe he he's just a type A personality, but it was corrupted by the military complex and how it ruins everything. See, I don't even know if that's true. I feel like no, I was, like, that I was like just absent father. I feel like, and they, they, he drops hints uh, quite a few times um, that his father was abusive. No. Um, during the dinner party, when the guests bring up the thing about the smashed watch, and like, we knew your father. He was a great man. And just his reaction. And this, I have to say, I don't know who the actor was. I can't remember his name right uh, now. Sergio Lopez, I'm pretty sure. Like, just like the minutia of how he reacted to his dinner guests yeah. talking about his father mm-hmm. and saying, like, my father never wore a watch. And, you know, just that straight up denial. Like, of... he doesn't want to give him the power. Apparently, he was the one, that actor was the one that Guillermo told about, like, the plot before, like, it was even written down. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, He's, it seems like he was really in on this role, and he kind of knocked it out of the park. He did, um, as the, being history's greatest monster. Yeah, like, and again, I, I think that so there, there's <laughs> hints of, yeah, at one point, um, the captain was very much a human boy. Like he had the potential to be good and be the hero, that and he be the hero. To be. That, yeah, yeah. But it, you know, everything just kind of led him down this path, and. Yeah. Then at some point, he was no longer being led down that path, but decided to just continue on. Well, it's because abuse is cyclical. So mm-hmm. once you're, it's really hard to get out of that. And like, I don't want to say that, like, obviously, if you're abused or have been abused, like, you're not like destined to become like a crazy monster. But there is like, there is an allure to like giving into that upbringing mm-hmm. and just embracing it and running with it because it's all you've ever known. And I think that's pretty much what happened oh yeah and besides my obnoxious philosophizing into the distance um this movie actually does have a lot to like is a very it's a great this movie that is a parable is a great parable on the um kind of just like the human condition and Mm -hmm. how we treat each other and how we are how we affect each other and how that then we develop into from the being a child that's such a certain way that and how we can become these adult, the adult that we become, and how or the monster, yeah, or the monster that we. Well, what's become. good about this movie is that it's so layered. Like, there's mm-hmm. legitimately so much happening in this movie, even though it looks like a pretty straightforward, like That's child right. fairy tale thing. That's but what I was just gonna say. It's a pretty simple movie, but there's just it's quilted. So much it's going quilted on. in patterns of three, according to the director. <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah, and like the other thing with the captain about being kind of led down this path is every torture scene he opens up with this whole speech about like you know I'm gonna make you talk and blah 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 it's like it's like and I'm going to do this and this way and that way you know just little things you pick up along the way it's like I'm sorry in most people's experiences these are not little things that you pick up along the (laughs) way I have never picked up how to torture someone he also clearly enjoys torturing people because he's like I have I have my regimen I have my three tools I have my speech and then I do my thing and then you die he's got he's He's got his routine he's got his routine and he just doesn't like when you mess his routine by stabbing you in the back or in the face or in the chest I just remember being like 15 and watching this movie and watching him sew his own face back shut oh my god I cannot. I've seen like gory movies and I've seen horrible shit, but like something about that is just so 
wrong. Oh, and this like, movie that has so much depth and like just understanding of children and human emotion also has some of the gore or the some of the most uh, traumatizing violence you'll see because he doesn't turn away from the violence. He's no. like, I'm going to show you the effect of every gunshot, of every knife wound, of mending the knife wound, of. I guess the only thing he doesn't totally show is when a, when our, our leading our leading lady gets shot in the stomach. You don't actually see her get shot in the stomach, but then you get the hand of the blood. And... Yeah, well, you know what happens. And then you and the other violence that you don't see is you don't see the mother die during childbirth. That's right. I am a big fan of that. Actually, yeah, <laughs> like, no, I feel like, like I again that's like a real reverence for like the female characters and the child characters yeah. and everything. So you have all these men blowing each other to pieces, but, but uh... like the, the, the violence towards women is often off screen. And, and also, like, kind of shown as, like, obviously shooting a 10-year-old child is pretty much probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah, but it's shown <laughs> as, like, no, like, it's bad enough that these dudes are shooting each other, but we're not even going to show you us, like, something horrible happening to women because we don't need to. Because it's, yeah, and, like, that's, it's done in every movie. Like, violence against women is a pretty popular thing in movies, so... It comes up a lot in our podcast I mean, because, yeah, because of that. It's just, it's something, like... Misogyny in film is something that is unfortunately very much woven into the tapestry of its history. And so when you have a movie that specifically is like, yes, we will show you all of these other things, but we will shy away from showing you this because you don't need to see that. I don't need to see a 10-year-old child being shot to understand how horrific it is. I don't need to see a woman die in childbirth because like... I like. I mean, obviously, it's pretty unlikely that that would happen unless there was something crazy going on, like to women nowadays. Like, it's pretty rare. But like, we understand that. We understand the kind of violence that women experience because it's so like beaten into our brains from day one. And it's nice to not always have to be like forced to watch it. And this is a, a little bit of a tangent, but childbirth seems like one of those things where just by nature of who makes content in Hollywood and in the film industry and the television industry, uh, childbirth is probably almost always directed and written by men. And it seems like one of those things where maybe they almost definitely they don't have the perspective on how it actually works. It's almost like women having sex in movies a lot, where it's clear the guy, it's it's always from the male perspective. Like, I kind of wonder if, I don't know, because I don't know anything about childbirth or having babies, but it seems like that might be one of the things that gets represented poorly. I don't well, actually know. That's not any, something people talk about. Almost right. anything to do with women's bodies and women's sexuality is represented poorly, specifically because it's still considered taboo. And we touched on this with the whole Blue Valentine train spotting all this other stuff where it's like you can show a woman being murdered in a million different ways horrifically you can show a woman being assaulted in a million different ways and like that's fine but the minute it's like well this thing that happens to all women like childbirth menstruation having sex like that's like not allowed Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah you're right you're on the right track there and it's it's really disheartening in a way because so many women have the wrong ideas about like their own bodies and like the things that happen to them. I had like come back from the feminist tangent. Sorry, we're going too far. <laughs> Sorry. The point is that Del Toro has done like a really good job of it, like again with the whole being a male ally, and he he's doing it well, and it displays itself very much in this movie. Yeah. Um, I know I had one more thing I wanted to say about the captain, but I think I lost it. Like it, he sucks. He, the, ca- the captain sucks. Yeah, and <laughs> that the captain is 
an amazing villain, very well written. That's what makes this fairy tale work so well. Is yeah. you have this really the most villainous villain you could ever have. And but perfect. the thing about him that's also good is that at no point does he feel unreal. Yeah, that's I think maybe that was it. Yeah, <laughs> like and, just, and we touched yeah. on that yeah. with like his background and all that. Yeah, but like he's still a human yeah. at the end. Just of the barely, day. barely <laughs> monstrous human. <laughs> he shot a young girl in the chest, in, in, <laughs> in the, the stomach. stomach yeah. I mean, it's yeah. fucked up. And, and he shoots bit. a doctor. Oh, I remember what I was going to say about him is obviously he, he's been raised in this mindset that violence is the solution to all of his problems, which is why he does things like, you know, murder rabbit hunters, murder rabbit hunters, um, grip little girls hands too hard when they shake the wrong offer the wrong hand to shake. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no gentleness in his approach It's always hard and violent. Um, you know, he shoots a doctor in the back um, for euthanizing a patient. For euthanizing a patient who was probably going to die anyways. Um, to be fair, he did think that the guy. He did figure out that the guy was a traitor. Yes. To be fair to, be to fair. the captain. To be fair to the captain. <laughs> to be fair to the captain. Well, it wasn't just because he euthanized the guy, but also because he figured he figured out that he was a rat. Yeah. And I'm still kind of mean. Yeah. Does that not, be, not a cool thing to do? Yeah. So the fact that he probably was abused as a child and then was then steeped into this very violent nature of this very violent war, which, side note, the reason Ophelia and her brother are the only children you see in that movie. Do you remember seeing any other children, even in the background? No. You know why? Because during the Spanish Civil War, they actually evacuated like nearly half a million children out of the more heavily war zones. They, like, both sides said, no, this is awful. Get the kids out of here. Most of them went to, you know, like the UK and whatnot. Oh my God. See, it does relate to the Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happens in the Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) That's, I didn't um, know that. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so... And bring that's, in the knowledge. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I told you I was going to bring some history. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, closing we, points? No. We have... Well, Doug Jones. Yeah. We, we have haven't Doug talked Jones. about... Oh, we, we haven't talked, talked about the actual God. monsters. Yeah. yeah. Well, <coughs> because man is the... No. <laughs> but I do want to say, so you have the three tasks and... It's, they escalate really quickly. It goes from, oh, just save this fig tree and, you know, mess with this frog a little bit. A frog to... that throws itself inside, throws itself up inside out. Yeah. <laughs> like, just literally, like, blah. The entire contents of my body. Take them. They are yours. <laughs> the frog <laughs> throws up so hard it turns inside out. Yeah, it goes from a frog who, I mean, like... we've all had that happen to us. <laughs> it comes from a... Like, the frog is killing a tree by eating beetles. And then <clears throat> uh, nightmare monsters with eyes in its hands that eats children. Mm-hmm. And Pan himself, they're all the same. And then kill your brother, basically, mm-hmm. or not go to yeah. heaven. Pan was not a; he was just testing her. Well, yeah, you know, but like that's how what the that in her mind, those are what the tests are. It's like, oh, let's just fuck with this frog. Oh my god, I'm gonna die! To I have no, don't, I don't kill him. Yeah, I'm not gonna hurt my little brother. It just escalates very quickly. It does. No, <laughs> I agree. The Look. stakes just go. Look, Ooh. the stakes would have been fine in the second task if she hadn't eaten the grave, which I can't really blame her for. She went to bed without dinner. And, and, and went to bed without dinner, 
and she's in a war zone. You notice that they have that storeroom, and that's where everyone fruit. gets. No, I'm it's not saying fresh I completely fruit. understand why. Like it happened. I get, actually got really mad one time because I got into a debate with this guy who was like, "She was so dumb." Blah, blah, blah. I was like, "She's a kid, all right. She's Chill a, the fuck out." She's a kid. She probably hasn't seen fresh fruit in months because they're eating out of reserves, like uh, rations. Salted reserves. meat. So, salted meat and bread and hardtack. Yeah, cheese. You know, she hasn't seen a fresh piece of fruit in ages. And oh my gosh, it's a grape, a big juicy grape. Yeah. I will say, as great as everything looks in this movie, I do. I'm like with a little more budget and maybe like the cinematography we have now. How you could film that table with like all this fresh fruit and stuff, and how beautiful it would look if like the Hannibal get people oh, did it or something God. like that. Like how the food <laughs> on that table would look, you would understand even more. It's like, yo, know, you you gotta eat all those grapes. Yeah, <laughs> you can't just not eat those grapes. Those are the most beautiful grapes. Well, I I got the idea of it. But I, I, I about like that second task though. Um, the first task, and I can't. I went looking for it. There is an actual fairy tale that like has something very similar where there's like a frog and weird shit and there's probably a tree and I don't have enough detail. <laughs> it's probably a tree. <laughs> I don't have enough details. It's one of those like vague childhood <laughs> memories of like I remember this really weird fairy tale about a frog and Wait, a tree. Can the episode be called There's Probably a Tree? <laughs> there's probably a tree. <laughs> Yes. Um, but I wasn't able to find it in time for this, so if I do, I'll, you know, give it... We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. You can make, make a link to it or something. Um, but that second task, I think where the horror in this movie comes from... Who has not had a dream like that, though? Where you're running away from something, do you, uh, do and, you know and the door starts closing. And the door that you need to get to, and it's so far away, and you have to climb up on a chair to get through the door in the first place. Like, just all kinds of awful shit. It's like, and you can't get away... Who hasn't had that nightmare, though? Um, I've seen It Follows five times in the past six months, so Why? I have had that uh, <laughs> quite a recurring nightmare. <laughs> uh, pretty much exactly that, yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to say, I want to have a segment that just, where we have a little jingle goes, for viewers' eyes only. <laughs> because she sets up that hourglass, and as soon as she turns her back, it's like, There's, what's the point of the hourglass? She can't see it. She can't track her time while she's in there. That's just so you could... For the cinematic, you just cin- feel stress. That's just for the cinematic effect for the viewers who can see the hour. They can cut to the hourglass and all that. And mm-hmm. I always enjoy it in movies where I'm like, well, there's really no point to that for them, but we can see it. That's you mean fun. like every scare in the movie The Stranger? Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking of because yep. we probably discussed it before. Probably, yeah, it's very ineffective. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I just like the idea of picking out every week the thing that's like, oh, that is. Only for effect, emotional effect on us. Anyway, Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Now, Monica, at this table, you are clearly the expert on Doug Jones, being the costuming she nerd that you are. Right <laughs> Tell us a bit about Doug Jones. Uh, he's awesome. He's been doing movies, and he's mostly famous for never seeing his face because he's always in prosthetics and makeup. He's also on Tumblr. You can find him on Tumblr, and he's adorable. Um, <laughs> As far as famous people to follow on Tumblr, him and Neil Gaiman, all the way. Um, And uh, some of my good friends actually know and got to meet and work with Doug Jones for a short film that they did a few years ago about uh, the child sex trade. He has Um, 143 acting credits on IMDb. Yeah. And he's amazing. Um, 
and according to those friends of mine who know him in real life, he is made of sunshine and cotton candy. And even though he plays all these scary, scary monsters and is tall and lanky and skinny and kind of slender man looking, he is an absolute sweetheart. I want him to be my creepy grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) But like creepy in like the way that like it looks like he's about to murder you, but he's really just reaching to give you candy. (laughs) (laughs) And also shouts out to the practical effects in this movie as an extension of Doug Jones. Just... They use CGI very selectively, very well, but man, the, the fawn, Doug Jones, who play, plays the fawn, but all the practical effects are super cool, and I always enjoy, even if they like date a little bit, like when you watch The Thing or something like that, practical effects just work. They date so much better than CGI, oh, and yeah. that's like the obnoxious... You can always elitist well, take, yeah. but like, it's true. No, it is it's true. true. Like, it's so much better. There's you, a reason the original Jurassic Park holds up so well. There's you can a always reason. feel good about like you can always appreciate the effort that went into it. When I see bad CGI, it's just like there's a reason Lord <laughs> of the Rings probably already holds up better than The Hobbit. Yeah. Sorry, Monica. I know that's close to your heart. No, no, but... it's okay. I, I will freely admit that the Lord of the Rings movies are much better than the Hobbit movies. <sighs> yeah, I'm on board. With I that. suppose. By, we we might be those. saying bad things about The Hobbit, but we're, we're doing it by saying good things about Lord of the Rings, so that's probably why your heart's okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, why are you uh, holding man. a knife? <laughs> uh, also, Doug Jones... It's Halloween. <laughs> so, Doug Jones is also like Guillermo del Toro's favorite. He's in the Hellboy movies. He's going to be in Crimson Peak, which comes out as yeah. we record this, and which we're going to try to see. No, wait, does. today is... Saturday. It's out. It's, it's out. out. It's been out for like two days. But yeah, so, and just, just looking, he's... Like 143 credits, and you just look through. He's in Crimson Peak. He's in The Flash, the Falling Skies, The Strain, Arrow. Let's see, there's be more here. Oh, now a bunch of things I haven't heard of. So, he was in Sons of Anarchy as a prison guard. Uh-huh. He was on Comedy Bang Bang. He's, he's in, in Legion so stuff. He's one of like the demons in Legion. Uh, of course. Uh, he obviously he was known for being Billy the Dead Guy in. Uh, Hocus Pocus, because it's Halloween, and I can't really? get through a Halloween thing without really? saying... Wait, that's Hocus him? Pocus. Yeah, that's him. He's the dead kid who, like, cuts his mouth open. He had his lips so shut, oh he cuts his lips open and to, like, yell at the witches. That's that's Doug Jones. Holy <laughs> crap. Oh, my God. And if you follow him on Tumblr, sometimes he throws... He puts up Throwback Thursday pictures of him on the set of Hocus Pocus with, like, Bette Midler and whatnot. Oh, my God. <laughs> We should watch that. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Men in Black 2, mm-hmm. Adaptation, an episode of CSI. Yeah, so Doug Jones is just incredible in every way. We that love him. Nerd hero, Doug Jones. <laughs> Doug Jones and Mark Shepard, they shall rule over us. We should, get like, we should get like a little badge, just like we can post pictures on Twitter or Tumblr and be like, nerd hero of the week. Doug Jones! <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, Guillermo del Toro's film history is interesting too. How he goes, so I guess he just always does like these cool, different, nerdy things. Whether it be Hellboy or Pacific Rim or these horror movies, which I was hoping to watch The Devil's Backbone. Which before this episode, I finally found a copy of it on DVD in a record store of all places. Because Pan's Labyrinth, he's called like an informal sequel to The Devil's Backbone, and it's like a continuation of a lot of the. Uh, Themes. themes of that movie and actually the two main characters even appear as two of the uh rebel soldier dudes oh cool little cameos there but i didn't get to watch it because poorly prepared but you should check it out but i'm glad that he's going back to horror with crimson peak i'm really I looking forward to it i did not so excited to I, see I do peak. have to i can't 
I mean, I got to sell my own self out a little bit. I did not like Pacific Rim as much as you two did. I enjoy it, but... I anyway, so Monica <laughs> is now the new co-host of the podcast. I fired Tyler's you first. Tyler's getting fired, apparently. Tyler is fired. <laughs> Kyle, wherever Kyle is, Kyle can come do his job, and Monica and I will do the other stuff. And, yeah, also you're dead to me, and you live in the car now. <laughs> oh, uh, what car? You need me to buy one. That's too real. <laughs> <laughs> Two real kids. Cut That's it out. Right. Cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> not so. At least I didn't crash my but, car. Yeah. <laughs> also too real. So, Pan's Labyrinth, Guillermo del Toro. Did we have some final points? I don't know where those are final points. Talking about the ultimate Nerd American hero. hero Nerd hero Doug Jones, the icon of practical effects in, for our generation. Final thoughts on Pan's Labyrinth. I think it's an amazing movie. It's got amazing special effects and practical effects and... I think I, I mean I just rewatched it a couple of days ago, and I almost want to watch it again because I know there's more layers that I've missed. Mm-hmm. I definitely, yeah, it's really a good movie to rewatch when you're older. I think because I feel like when I first watched it, I missed so many things, and I would really like to delve into that and uncover that as well. <laughs> and I just really appreciate it as both. We didn't even talk about it as a foreign movie, really, but. Uh, how it supersedes that in some ways mm-hmm. and it's the, the practical effects that hold up over all this time and all the things that it brings which are things Guillermo del Toro brings just I really appreciate them because I'm glad we have spaces for movies like this and that they can get as much acclaim as this one does 22 minute standing ovation at KM. <laughs> But because like, so often when you get like interesting or fascinating movies, they're relegated to like smaller circles. So it's really nice when a movie that is thoughtful and creative in these ways, not that that they get wide acclaim, not that all the movies that do get acclaim aren't thoughtful, but you can only get so many British biopics that it can only be so different, you know, or Steve Jobs biopics around four now, three. I don't know. We talked at length about that in the train spotting. But episode. yeah, just appreciating this movie existing and Guillermo del Toro's continued existence. Yes. Yes. Good times. <laughs> Except for the child murder. <laughs> so. <laughs> Speaking of child murder, let's get to our recommendations for the week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my recommendations are going to be Hellboy, Hellboy 1, and Hellboy 2, both by del Toro. Slightly different take. Um, Hellboy, though, is a weird kind of even like comics it's kind of a weird thing where it's a mashup of action and horror and with Lovecraftian themes and I think the reason Del Toro was the right choice to make those into movies is his understanding of monsters and how to portray them like he always shows just enough monster that you get the idea but it's never too much and aesthetically they're some of the most beautiful movies I think and aren't talked about with most superhero movies, even though I guess it's not a superhero, but it is like a comic book action hero. I think it was kind of ahead of the curve, is yeah. why before that became like the thing. Yeah. Really, like, the Hellboy movies, I think, came out a little too early to really ride the wave of superheroes becoming mainstream. Which is a shame because they probably would have done even better. Mm-hmm. I know the first one is really popular. The so. first one's good. Um, uh, the second one isn't as good and I feel it's because um, 
Fox and Marvel kind of were pushing for a PG-13 because that's where you want your superhero movies to be is a PG-13 and if Del Toro had been able to take it full R-rated the Golden Army would have been vicious and beautiful (laughs) Um, and it's one of those movies that's a little frustrating to watch because you can see a really really great movie kind of lurking in the wings but still very worth watching Kayla, your recommendation for the week? Um, I'm kind of copping out a little bit, and we'll be recommending uh, another Spanish filmmaker, uh, Inuritu, who is currently on top of the world for directing a small movie called Birdman (laughs) and the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. But uh, I'm actually going to be recommending his movie 21 Grams, which stars Naomi Watts and Sean Penn, and it is told in a very interesting non-linear fashion and it's basically about all of these people's lives intersecting due to a horrible tragedy and I just feel like with all the talk we did about like people understanding other people and good writing for different multifaceted characters that is a really good movie to do that it also stars Benicio Del Toro who we love clearly and yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to like talk about it too much because it, it. I don't want to give it away. But it is a very deeply emotionally affecting movie, and you will cry a lot when you watch it. So yes, that is my recommendation for the week. <laughs> my recommendation this week is very related to Pan's Labyrinth and Guillermo del Toro. It's actually a movie he produced, and you can see a lot of his influence there or a lot why he would be interested in this project it's the orphanage a spanish language horror film from 2007 uh, from the way it looks which is beautiful to the uh, content uh, in to the movie's content uh, it is very similar in how it's at times terrifying but also incredibly emotionally resonant there's a a lot of depth to the characters which you don't always get in horror movies a lot of times, even if you have some character involvement going on there, they're kind of just tools for the horror. Whereas you really relate to, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Belen Rueda. Anyways, the main actress in this movie returning to her childhood home, this, orphan, this orphanage. Um, it's, I, this was another movie. When it ended, I was just shattered. I was just felt broken. I was just like... I was just signing up for a cool horror movie, man. I wasn't expecting oh to cry. God, just wait till you actually watch The Devil's Backbone. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> which I'll probably be doing sometime in the next week because I'm feeling all the Guillermo del Toro things going. <laughs> it's going to be a week of Guillermo. Oh, can I cut in with one more recommendation? Please for sure. cut in. Because it is Halloween time. It is and Halloween time. we love us some Doug Jones. Jones. And we love us some Nostalgia. Hocus Pocus. I mean, come on. If you haven't seen it, you haven't had a childhood. For real. <laughs> it's the seasonal recommendation. Seasonal recommendation, yes. Kayla, it is time for your trivia. I actually have kind of two trivias this week. Um, because I did want to point out that Guillermo del Toro translated and wrote, well, wrote and translated all of the English subtitles himself because he really did not want the studios to handle it and basically butcher his vision. So that's really cool. But uh, the actual lighter and more fun trivia that I have is that Stephen King attended a screening of the film and sat next to Guillermo del Toro. And according to him, uh, Stephen King was like squirming when the pale man was chasing Ophelia. And he said that seeing King's reaction to that was akin to winning an Oscar. (laughs) 
which is awesome. <laughs> and my trivia of the week is we mentioned how this is a Spanish language film and that the IMDb 250 actually has a better than expected representation of certain foreign films, uh, mostly by certain directors, as we've mentioned, all the Kurosawa and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of the languages spoken, most films on there have a variety of languages because all you really need is one sentence in Spanish and you could say there's Spanish involved. But 217, as of now, movies on the 250 have English as as one of the languages in the film. Now, that doesn't mean they're all English exclusive or... But you can safely assume that a large number of those are going to be mostly English and there may be a couple other languages involved, which means there are 33 movies in the IMDb 250 that don't have any English in them. And I'm not sure if that seems like a lot or not much. It doesn't seem like a lot if it you consider doesn't... like how many movies are made outside of yeah. America and outside of the English language. I, I should say I can't tell if that's if I expected more or less or fewer. Based on our researching of the diversity of the IMDb Top 250, or rather the lack thereof, mm. I am not surprised by this. I'm kind of like... That's what I'm saying. I almost expected fewer. Yeah. Like, cool, I guess. (laughs) When you consider how many of those are just Kurosawa films and a couple others, it doesn't leave a whole lot on there that don't involve English at all. Yeah. Which is too bad, because when you get something... You really... That's the thing that I do. Like, if... If you're one of those people who refuses to watch subtitled movies, like, I'm sorry, but you suck. Unless you have, like, a condition where you, like, can't read subtitles, that's fine. But, like, if you're just like, why wouldn't I watch, why would I watch a movie that's not in English? Like, you are missing out on so many good movies. I subtitle even my English movies because, um, I, I, I mean, I try to at least not let my French skills atrophy completely. So I will turn on French subtitles on English movies just so I can like read the French while I'm watching English movies. I should, I should Monica's do that a better Spanish. human than all of us. I should do that with Spanish. I'm um, rusty. I have a little trivia. Ooh. Go for it. Because why not? And this is historical trivia. Monica's so prepared. Yeah. Um, Again, better person I'm than us. I'm probably going to mispronounce. I wouldn't go that far pronounce the name of this but it's a Guernica which is a painting done by Picasso, Pablo Picasso during the Spanish Civil War heard of him um, you know little artist uh, and he did it in response to a bombing of the uh, of the city of Guernica um, uh, well actually a village in northern Spain um, the Germans and Italians bombed it on behalf of the Spanish fascist because you know it's a civil war let's call our other fascist allies to bomb the shit out of our you know own country um and pablo picasso did this big beautiful black and white painting and it is currently on display in the united nations it's beautiful it is <laughs> but i think that's all we have this week yes i mean we could go on talking forever so anyway <laughs> uh, if you have any comments or questions or you just want to talk at us you can email us at ltrfipod at gmail.com the fastest way to get a hold of us besides that is to contact us on twitter also at ltrfipod we have a tumblr page where we will put the show notes and like various posters and i'm actually going to be starting to write like kind of a weekly slice of life blog just kind of about us and like what we're doing so that you can feel even more connected to us and brand new this no, week no hold on what's the name of that tumblr oh it's at let the right films in oh, you did it shut up so anyway brand new this week uh we have finally set up a facebook page 
Tyler spent a long time working on it. It looks great. It's good. We might do some paid advertising like at some point. Page. Not sure yet. Well, yeah, the logo is nice and everything. Anyway, sorry for trying to compliment you. I just it felt backhanded. <laughs> It was, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, our friendship is now broken. It's over. Go but uh, anyway, so uh, you can find that. That is facebook.com slash let the right films in. If you would like that page, you can leave a review. You can write on the wall. You can share our posts. Uh, that would really mean the world to us. You guys are great, and we appreciate you listening. And if you are so inclined to follow us on all social media and deal with how ridiculous we are, you are a saint. Yeah. You can find our episodes on SoundCloud every week. Or you can subscribe to us on iTunes, which is, uh, judging by listening to other podcasts, it's the most important thing that you could ever do in someone's life is to review their podcast on iTunes. Please review our podcast. If you care about people, you subscribe to their podcast and review them on iTunes. This is what I've learned, is that there's nothing else that matters. This is what the internet tells me. And on that note, uh, Jurassic World is a horrible movie and always will be. And we will see you guys next week. Entertained okay. um, mostly when there were dinosaurs on the screen because it's weird how dinosaurs do that. Like because secretly I'm seven years old and there were dinosaurs. <laughs> Fuck everything. Ah. <laughs> and there were so many things that could have made it a good movie, and then they didn't do them, and instead said like, you know what? This could be a really great character thing where we have the aunt and the nephews, and we could have like character development and shit. But no, no. Instead, we're going to make it all about how this lady realizes her life is empty because she works really hard and doesn't have babies. Yep. There's this really also Chris thing. Evans is pretty. <laughs> We're done recording. It's He's not. the wrong Chris. That's the wrong Chris. I- Carl. 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 Carl